I bonded with like a guy in his 20s who's um, a performance artist, and we wept when I had to leave, but I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think I'm getting an idea of the, the sort of traveler yeah. that you are. I will go any distance to find that real thing. When I was a kid growing up in the 90s, there were a handful of faces that constantly seemed to be on the TV. And they always came in pairs. You had Anton Deck, Zig and Zag, Tony Blair and Noel Gallagher. But then there was this woman who had enough personality to fill two people. She was larger than life, her bright red lipstick mouth yelling its way through decades of primetime TV. And when I asked Ruby Wax to come into the Rough Guide studio, and she actually said yes, I was massively excited, but... Also, to be honest, I was a little bit nervous as well. I mean, she's such a daunting personality. And in person, Ruby is super sharp. Her mind moves at a million miles per hour. And by the end of the conversation, I honestly felt like she was interviewing me rather than the other way around. Which makes sense because Ruby is a TV interviewer and a TV presenter. But she's also a travel writer for newspapers and magazines. And she's an author. Her most recent book is called The Mindfulness Guide for the Frazzled. She's been public about her mental illness for a while and she became interested in mindfulness as a way of dealing with her depression. And I think it says a lot about Ruby that rather than just reading around the subject, she actually went to Oxford University to study mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. And in her book, she talks about living in the land of frazzledom. So I asked her what it's like as a place. Um, it's a lot of lists go by that never end. Okay. So uh, when you do get the last item, and it's usually something nuts like must have a lamp stand, then more begat. Okay. It's an endless list. I see. Yeah. So frazzledom is, is this... No, fra- <clears throat> what I say about frazzled is everybody's supposed to be stressed. You know, that's mm. not the enemy. We need it. Otherwise, you know, we'd still be in the swamps. But frazzled is now this new phenomena, which is you get stressed about stress. And, or, you know, and that's what keeps you up all night. Each thought daisy chains to the next. And that's the 21st century, the problem. So what brought you to mindfulness in the first place? Oh, because I had, um, um, you know, I have a mental illness. And I thought 10 years ago, I want to know if there's anything out there that can, you know, it wouldn't cure it, but it would give me an early warning because that's one thing it takes you hostage overnight. And I don't want that to happen. Um so I researched it, and then I did find, look, I would have hugged trees, but it said mindfulness cognitive-based therapy had the best results. As far as looking in an MRI scan or whatever, it, it develops bits of the brain, and I know it's about neuroplasticity. It's how you train a brain. So mindfulness and cognitive were the winners. So then I looked for the guy who invented it, and he was a professor at Oxford. So I drove to him, and I said, you got to tell me what's, what's in the meat, what happens in the brain. And tell me quick because I don't have time. You know, I, I could learn the salsa in the time I do to study mindfulness. And he said, you'd have to get into Oxford and get your master's to learn that. So then I did, and I left three years ago. But it, <clears throat> the, the anatomy of the brain is the most interesting thing on this earth. How did you find it studying at Oxford? You know, I was so interested in the subject that I didn't really care. I don't really believe I did go to Oxford. Mm. There's some part of me that will... I, I, even with the bat cape on, I can't get it that I went because I was a failure as a child. <laughs> in, in what ways? I got D's and I was remedial. They put me in the slow class. Right. And um, 
I, I, I didn't, I couldn't concentrate. I saw, I was reading your book and I saw there's a picture of you with the Dalai Lama. What yeah. Was, what was he like to me? Um, but the first picture is hilarious because I'm doing a selfie with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because they said no selfies, so I took one. And then I met him and um, everybody's all, you know, being, I don't think you can do that. So I made him laugh. I forgot what it was, but, you know, I don't believe in reincarnation. Uh, clearly, he's a very wise person, but I have to get off the bus when they say, you know, they found him and blah, blah, blah. I just, uh, you know, my brain doesn't take it in. So your approach to mindfulness is more scientific. It's right? totally scientific, completely. You know, if you, cognitive also pr- wins, so that's not religious at all. Yeah. As mindfulness and cognitive therapy are the, exactly the same thing. But with mindfulness, you don't need to shrink. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in your career, you must have traveled extensively around the world. No. Or have you not? Is well, I did get back from Indonesia two days ago because I, I, I went diving. <laughs> did you see me in the manta ray? I did. Yeah. Look great. When Trump won, I thought, I get, what am I going to do? So I got on, I called the airport and I said, how far can you take me? <laughs> And this is the furthest you can get. This is 31 hours on a plane. No way. And then four hours on a boat. And I've just come back. And how was the trip? Well, you're diving. So you sit on the bottom of the ocean. And clearly, the idea of politics is not on your mind. You're just open-mouthed at the magnificence. Mm. So I think it's better to live underwater. That's my advice for the future. Is that the future of civilization? It's the only way to go. go. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you've done before then? Have you been diving in the past? Yeah, not like this. What is it about being underwater that you like You're so complete. Much? Whatever you think mindfulness is, you are totally present because you're in the flow. Mm. Your brain can't think of anything. It, it cannot go about, did I forget you know, to write that email? Did I? That? You're totally present yeah. automatically. And you have to breathe constantly. So, you know, you're getting, your brain's getting energy. Mm. Because there are all of these, you can go on retreats and yoga, yoga trips and things like that now, can't you? Would you say that doing something like diving? You I'm find... not a yoga person, you know. No. I don't see why you have to kiss your ass from both directions. <laughs> um, uh, no, I think you could be doing yoga and you're paying attention to a hundred other things. Mm. Literally, you cannot go anywhere else except in your body. Yeah. But I'm sure there are people who do yoga because yoga is mindfulness too, who are in their body and experience, you know, leaving the chattering brain and just being present. And do you think that when when you do travel or when you go overseas, do you think it's important to try and disconnect in terms of literally turning your phone off? Do you ever take... I don't know. There was no communication. But, you know, we're creatures of addiction. If you get into an environment, it's memes. Mm. We have to, you feel like you're missing something. I have to, I have to answer that person because they're waiting on the other end of their computer for my answer. We fantasize. They think I don't like them. Mm. It's a total fantasy. So do you feel like before you go away, you have to tell people, just so you know, I'm going to be offline for the next two weeks? No, I didn't do that. But when I get back, believe me, I have to answer, you know, I even answer spam. Mm. I've got to go through that list because I'm obsessive. But but um, that's my condition, but I sort of forgive it, you know, because I understand it's made me really proficient. Mm. And sometimes I get really angry at myself. But I kind of get, I got pretty far being like this. So you said you haven't traveled a huge amount over the years with your job. No. But what... Well, I did documentaries. 
So, what, so I, I did go. Yeah, okay. And even, maybe even before then, were there any formative trips that you feel like have kind of defined you as a person? Or are there any places in the world that you really cherish? Well, I have a little... I'm, to, I'm going tomorrow to yeah. Cave Town. All oh, right. So that's my ultimate. That's your place. Why? That's my why place. A, I like the... I have friends there that are so edgy, you know, and... Uh, How are they edgy? Irony. Uh, they, first of all, they live through something, right? So... They're, they're sussed. You know, their feet are on the ground. Mm. But they have that very ironic sense of humor. And uh, I want to be near that. Okay. So what will you do when you're out there? What kind of I'm sh- writing my next book. And, ah. it's, and there's, I'm working with an, a monk and a neuroscientist. And they're coming with me tomorrow. No way. Yeah. And I, their conversations are unbelievable. So, so that's wh- the nature of the next book. So where, where did you find this Buddhist monk? He works for Google and Facebook and... Uh, He's a, he's a big deal because he teaches mindfulness well, and he's young and he's funny. And uh, the neuroscientist was, is a professor at Yale. He's in his 30s. When, have you ever been on any, on any backpacking trips or anything like that? I hitchhiked through Europe. Did you? Yeah. So what was, what was the trip you went on? Like where? It was all over Europe. I mean, oh. I had my thumb out, and that was it. How did you find hitchhiking? I was a great hitchhiker. I got arrested once in Berkeley. By Joe Fish. That was the name of the policeman. Right. And he said, well, I had to go to jail for the night. And I was in there with a couple of hookers. And they were, everything was see-through because they were scared. I was in the toilet. And they, were, they said, we, we can't see you. I said, do you think I was going to choke myself with some of the toilet paper? Anyway, I made great friends with those people. So that was fun. So what were you I hitchhiked back and forth across America. A few times, and then I even went to private airports when you still could, and I'd say, where are you guys going? I was, like, young, and they'd say, San Francisco, and I'd say, can I have a lift? Did that work? Yep. You could do that then. So what is it about, what was it about hitchhiking that you loved? Well, you couldn't do it now because you'd get murdered. Mm. So everybody, people would take you home. There was never somebody who'd chop you up into cubes. Well, all these worlds open. It was so cool. The thing is, you say that, though, that you can't do it now because you'd get murdered. But I went hitchhiking a few years ago. Where'd you go? That was from London to Morocco. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I actually found that they, culturally, in France and Spain, they, they were quite used to hitchhikers. And they were really, I mean, everyone was ridiculously yeah. friendly. And if anything, But I don't see it here. No way. No, in the UK, yeah. I don't think. I mean, unless you go to a lorry station or a petrol station and you actually talk to people and say, look... This is where I want yeah. to go. If you're just stood on the side of the road with your thumb out. Well, that's what we used to do. Yeah. So would you hitchhike? I hitchhiked from my university and to Mexico after a party with my friends. We just stared at each other. And a guy from the army picked us up. And he was supposed to go to his base. But we got him so crazy that he went AWOL. And he drove us all the way to Mexico. He didn't know what he, you know, we made him nuts. And then we said, can we borrow your camera? <laughs> Usually the man steals from the, and yeah. we'll bring it back. We never brought it back. Oh, no. um, we meant to, but we didn't. Yeah. So we hitched right into Mexico. That was cool. And what did you do once you were in Mexico? Oh, that was wild then. That yeah. was wild. Yeah. So what are we talking? We're talking, you know, there were these beaches that made Ibiza look like New York that were really uh, kind of, the, you know, where you'd hang out with international, you know, people like us. Mm. And there were... We stayed with the uh, Mexicans in hammocks, and they it was peyote. That's where we were, in Oaxaca, uh, below Oaxaca. So it was wild. Wow. So was it that that got you into hitchhiking in the first place? Was, did that no, I'd already been hitchhiking. Already been, okay. Yeah. 
So what was the Europe trip like? Like where, whereabouts did you go? I don't remember. Europe? I mean, I, I was with a friend of mine. Mm. So I guess we went through Spain and then, I don't Italy. You know, we went. But he was making me laugh so much, I don't really know where I was. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Have you had any bad experiences? Well, way? a few people expose themselves to me in Austria because I speak German, but it's baby German. Right. So I think it was kind of Lolita-like. And uh, one car after another, I got a twofer. Right. Two people brought out their genitals. Did they? Yeah. But I got out of the car. Yeah, rightly so. So back on to mental health and travel. Mm-hmm. Um, in Alan DeBotton's Art of Travel, he says that he found himself walking... I have traveled a lot. I don't know why I said I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I have. I guess that links to this question. So he says that he found himself walking around London and he found himself in a depression, so he decided to book a flight to the Caribbean to escape from everything. Right. And then he got to the Caribbean and after the initial excitement of being there, he realized that all the problems that were in London were still in the Caribbean. Mm. And do you think that people do try to escape from their reality by traveling? And do you think that will ever work? It depends how far gone you are. Um, if you really have depression, you have the illness, you won't even be able to get on a plane. You know, it would be impossible. But I was once in an institution, and I had, because I'm a travel writer, I, ha- I, had to, I was going to Laos and Cambodia, and my daughters were going with me. So I left the institution and said, I'm perfectly fine. They knew I wasn't. And my daughters took me. And I, um, I remember seeing Anger Watt and saying, what's the big deal? Because you're nullified. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have bipolar, so it wasn't dangerous. But then when I got back, I went straight to the hospital. I didn't have a bad time. I just, you know, I don't really, I had to write an article. So I had to read travel magazines to figure out where I was. Mm. But uh, if you're a little sad and you change the scenery in front of you, you know, because everything that defines you is what you're looking at at that second. So if you things become novel, your brain refreshes. Yeah. And likewise, I suppose, if you go to a bleak or depressing place, like in your book, you talk about going to North Norway. Norway. Was it? Then I suppose that could have the adverse. I had, effect. I was already sick. Mm. And then I go up, I thought, oh, Norway, that'll be cute. Little, you know, Ibsen like houses. And they sent me to beyond the Arctic Circle in a, an industrial center with winds blowing so hard that when I got out of the plane, both my suitcases flew out of my hand. And then I had to speak to 600 depressives. And I thought, I, saw, I thought, I'm sicker than you guys. And the hotel was that modern Norsk thing. So it was like The Shining, big long halls, and then it kind of popped a plant. You know, it's cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nightmare. Also, the heating didn't work. In I was institutional. I was, in, I was taken away after that one. Wow. Yeah. So you won't be going back to... I love Norway, Mm. but you don't go in the middle of winter when you have depression. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely not. That was another thing I wanted to talk to you about was after after you've been on a positive trip and you come back and you feel like you are refreshed or you feel like you have managed to... Leave yourself. Yeah, leave yourself and really enjoy the moment of of the trip. How When you get back, I think a lot of people suffer from some kind of post-trip depression or they struggle to carry on those good positive yeah. feelings that they've had. How do you think, how can you avoid that? And how can you cope with a post-trip depression? That doesn't start my depression. Hmm. But I was, you know, I literally was got off the plane two days ago. So the, the joy of swimming with sharks is still in my body. Yeah. Um, you have to find people here who nourish you. Yeah. 
and and focus on that. Don't let anything else get in your way. Mm. But then you think, I have to be nice to this person because they got me this job. Then I have to go out with her because I owe her that. And you get chipped away at. Yeah. So I think the secret would be pick your moments. Pick who you want to see. Yeah. Okay, I see. So in uh, Rough Guides, we... We advise on the top tips when, oh, you, right. when you go to a place. I don't, have you ever used a rough guide before? Yeah. Yeah? Uh-huh. I can't remember where I was, but mm. uh, I do. But also I like going there. I went to Troncoso in the summer, which is m- my fantasy, mm. and also a place in Costa Rica called Nassaro. There are very few places left that are genuinely kind of bohemian where they didn't stick buildings up their ass. <laughs> And they've, you know, it, they've left it, and there's a vibe. Those are the only two places I've ever found. Okay, was you know, it, I look for this stuff. Yeah, what's genuine? I think I might have read about your trip to Costa Rica. Yeah, I wrote about it. So how how was that trip? That's the ultimate. You know, it's a, a community where. It's not plastic. You know, it's it's just, the restaurants are in the jungle, you know, and you meet really cool people. You always know when everybody's interesting, you're on it. And there's lots of yoga schools and then fire dancing on the beach, but it's no big deal. There's no, um, you know what I mean? You yeah. wander into it. Yeah, yeah. Even not... the hotel is kind of humble. Hmm. Um, you just, if the minute a fancy hotel is there or somebody famous moves in, you're, it's dead. Yeah, it and they made the roads. They're not paved, so it takes four hours to get there. That's why it's... And trust, Trancus, all these places that take 77 hours to get to, they have a chance of being untouched. So should we be putting them in the rough guide or should we keep it out? I don't know. That's You still have to really, like for me to go 31 hours, not many people want to do that. Mm. So I would like a list of where I, what I want, I should be, I should go. But I do travel a lot and I haven't found places like that. And I researched them a lot to know they were there. That's the thing, because that's the, it's like a double-edged sword, sword with travel guides. Yeah, I know. Because if you put in the amazing, untouched, bohemian place... It's ruined. And suddenly it's ruined. So I don't really know what So what do you do? Is the rough guide kind of crap and just says, go to Wisconsin? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, but I, I know. I suppose there might be a responsibility where I went and did the update in Scotland. Where's your favourite place? Well, I actually, actually, the North Highlands in Scotland, where right. I went around earlier this year, were absolutely beautiful have you been around that i went to school in scotland so i went up there all the time (sighs) yeah so stunning and it's not ruined yet otherworldly and no i mean some parts of it are certainly touristy like sky have you been to the isle of sky before is it really touristy it's it's teeming i mean no it's almost like its doors open in april and then they close in october and nothing happens in between but deservedly so i mean it is a gorgeous place yeah gorgeous places will be overrun yeah. Like I went to Parity this summer too, where everybody was talking about, oh, it's the next cool place. It's our once there's a dream catcher, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and there's Americans, you know, going, I just found an alpaca. You've got leave the country, clear the <laughs> decks, get get out of there. Yeah. Then Troncuso was a whole different ball game. Yeah, so yeah. what's Troncuso like? It's just um it's around a square. Everybody's interesting again. And at night the twinkle lights come out and you do the samba. They grab you next door, they close the bars down, everybody's cool, nobody speaks English, but you, I bonded with like a guy in his 20s who's um, a performance artist, and we wept when I had to leave, but I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think I'm getting an idea of this, this sort of traveler yeah. that you are. I will go any distance to find that real thing, mm. and there's not many left. So where's next? I'm going to Bali 
in March. Nice. Um, and then diving yeah. on one of those islands. Brilliant. I mean, Ubud is probably ruined, mm. but it, I guess if you go outside of it. What I really like is that hippie vibe. Yeah. Chic hippie. And that's very hard to find. I don't mean, and it's, you know, in Nosaro, they're the ne- they're kind of young and blonde, but they're world travelers. Mm. So that's when the stories get good. You can find authentic, but that's not what I'm after. So you're after, she- okay, chic hippie. Yeah. I would say, have you been to Uruguay before? No, that's my next thing, I think. Uruguay is- coast is absolutely gorgeous. And really, if you're after like a hippie laid back vibe without it being too busy. Yeah, yeah. And not too, like they're not just smoking spliff on the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're doing that as well. But yeah, that's of... okay, too. But it's got that. All right. So Uruguay, will you guys fix it up for me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Are you right. updating the next Rough Guide to Uruguay for us? Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Well, I'll... there's a twofer now. I'll talk to my boss. Okay. <laughs> right. Get in touch. Ruby, thanks so much Thank for coming you. in. Cheers. Thanks. I love Rough Guide. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. feel like I'll never be able to look at a dream catcher in the same way again. To be honest, I came out of my chat with Ruby with more questions than when I went in. Like, what exactly happened that night when she got arrested in Berkeley? And who was this guy who kept her laughing as they hitchhiked around Europe? And she's a travel writer. We could have swapped notes. But Ruby's mind seems to work so fast that by the time I'd processed what she'd just said... I could see that she'd already mentally hopscotched on to the next anecdote, even more enticing than the one we'd just left behind. So Ruby, if you're listening out there, do keep in touch and let us know when you next find that real thing. Thank you to Ruby Wax for coming in to chat. You can buy her book, A Mindfulness Guide for the Frazzled, through Penguin Books now. Thanks also to Julia Murday from Penguin for hooking us up. Cheers to Jed Flood for the music, my boss George D, my producer Alana Chance, and Ruth Barnes, Stuart Silver, and Laura Sheeter from Chalk and Blade. And if you like the show, please do review, rank, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this right now. 